It's time for Football Asia with Paul Williams. Yes, it's that time of the week again where we talk football Asia with uh, Paul Williams from the Asian Gay Podcast. Evening, Paolo. How are you? How are you, Paul? Simon, Alex, how are you guys this week? Very, very good. Uh, Before we get on to the international friendlies involving Asian teams, outside Australia, of course, uh, what on earth is going on with Indonesia's hosting of the FIFA Under-20 World Cup? Is it going to happen or not? As it stands right now, it probably looks like it won't happen. Um, it is an evolving story. It all sort of came to a head last week, or at least came you know, to, to public's attention last week when the Bali governor wrote a letter essentially saying he didn't want the Israeli team to uh, to come to Bali and, and play in Bali. Of course, that's where the draw was going to be. So that obviously led to a whole lot of conversations with FIFA at short notice because that draw was meant to take place last week. The draw... At this stage, as it stands, the draw has been cancelled. The tournament is still on in Indonesia as it stands at the moment. I think I saw a photo even this morning that FIFA was still out inspecting some of the stadiums. But you'd have to think that their hosting of the tournament is in serious jeopardy now because if you've got the host nation essentially saying that there is a nation that we don't want to welcome and we don't want to play. You've also got Iraq saying we don't want to be drawn um, with Israel as well. It's a geopolitical nightmare for FIFA. There's a lot of now rumours that Peru will step in and, and take the hosting rights for this tournament as well. And it's a massive setback for Indonesian football as well because if they lose the hosting rights, of course, they no longer qualify for the tournament. So an entire generation missed out on what would be a fabulous experience for them. And there was great hope and excitement in Indonesia for this tournament as well. We know what happened last year with the stadium disaster and that cast a big shadow over Indonesian football, but there was, there's always this on the horizon that gave them some hope, a big tournament being staged in their backyard. And um, now it looks like it's all gone up in smoke for them, unfortunately. I also heard that Qatar, our old friends that who seem to stage every single international <laughs> tournament these days, uh, would be the fallback option. Now, surely they wouldn't be that keen on having Israel there either. And of course, you couldn't play it at its current point in the calendar because it's going to be about 50 degrees in the Gulf. Um, exactly. So that would rule yeah. that out. What chance, I guess this can't happen because of the FIFA Women's World Cup, but could Australia stick their hand up at a different time of year? Well, I did I did cheekily suggest that to someone that maybe, you know, we're, we're not that far from Indonesia, so why don't we put our hand up and host it? Um, yeah, clearly given the timings of when that tournament was due to take place with the, the Women's World Cup not long after, it was um, it'd probably be a logistical nightmare for uh, Football Australia to try and organise. But perhaps if we didn't have that, you know, it would be, be good to see Australia host tournaments like this. Even, you know, aside from FIFA tournaments, I'd love to see Australia host more AFC tournaments as well. We saw the under-20s Asian Cup and under-23s Asian Cup. I think they'd be great tournaments for Australia to host as well. And, Paul, looking at these uh, international friendlies that are uh, are taking place at the moment then with the Asian Cup not too far away, uh, all the top nations are are in action at the moment along with Australia. Um, Looking at Saudi Arabia first, they lost 2-1 at home to Venezuela. Um, and seem certain to, to be losing their coach? It certainly looks that way. It hasn't been made official yet, but from all the reports, it seems like it's just a, a matter of sorting out the details with the, the Saudi Football Federation to terminate his contract early. Of course, he just signed a, a new contract last year, a, an extension through until 2027. So that'll be a big blow for, for Saudi football because 
understandably, they put a lot of stock into Hervé Renard, given the success that he had. They had planned um, uh, to have him through until 2027 when they were going to obviously host the Asian Cup as well. And this is an important sort of four years as they build up to to that tournament as well, to to lose such an important bedrock um, of, of their foundation and, and the success that they've had over the last couple of years will be a big blow for them. And I guess they've got to get this next appointment right as well, because we're about to find out how much of the success they had is, is down to the improved structures off the field and how much of it was down to Renard and, and his ability as a coach as well. So really important time for, uh, for Saudi football, but it does almost seem certain that we'll see Renard here in the, uh, the women's world cup in a few months time. Yep. In charge of the French national team, that is uh, the big uh, talking point or the big rumor, uh, the green Falcons in, in action against Bolivia, Tonight, now we, we talked about the rise of Uzbekistan last week with their junior team, of course, winning the AFC Under-20 Asian Cup. Uh, their senior team's going pretty well as well. They defeated Bolivia uh, 1-0 in their latest friendly. They've also drawn with Russia in November. Not quite sure what uh, the team was called, but anyway, a team from Russia representing <laughs> that nation. Uh, and they beat Cameroon last year as well. Are they emerging as a bit of a dark horse for the Asian Cup under Shretsko Katanets, who's a... Uh, sort of a veteran of Asian football, isn't he? He's been in charge of a few nations around the Gulf. He is, and he's had good success as well. Of course, he was in charge of Iraq, and they looked like they were on an upward trajectory as well before he was dismissed. And we know how difficult it is to to get Iraq going in an upward trajectory as well. So I think his stint there looks better as time goes on as well. And he's, he's really sort of been able to to slide under the radar a little bit because for the first time in their history, Uzbekistan didn't make the final round of World Cup qualification. So they've kind of been out of the spotlight now for the best part of almost a couple of years now that, that Katnech has been in charge and he's just been able to play a series of friendlies outside of the, the spotlight and outside of the glare and really build this team up. So now they're ready to hit this cycle and they look like they're in fantastic shape. As you said, we've spoken about it now the last couple of weeks. They've got a really good young cohort coming through from the under-20s, under-23s generation as well. They've got players like Aldor Shomorodov that's playing over in Europe and a couple of other exciting players as well. So they look like they're, they're going to hit the Asian Cup in fantastic form and it, it'd be it'd be remiss not to count them as as a dark horse. They're probably not one of the favourites, but they're certainly a team that you wouldn't want to be facing. And we know Australia almost lost to them in the round of 16 um, at the last Asian Cup. Only needed some Matty Ryan heroics in that penalty shootout as well. So they're always a dangerous team to play. Uh, South Korea will undoubtedly be one of the favourites, even though they haven't actually won the Asian Cup since 1960, which still is a stat that baffles me. Uh, they're mm. under new leadership, of course. Jurgen Klinsmann, a rather controversial appointment. He began uh, with a two-all draw against Colombia. They did actually blow a two-goal lead given to them by Son Heung-min, who scored a double. Uh, what sort of a reception did the German get before and perhaps more crucially after? Mm. As I said, he's he was always going to be on a, a short leash given the unpopularity of his appointment. I think people in Korea have generally accepted that, okay, we may not particularly like the appointment, but there's nothing, it's not going to change now. So we may as well get on with supporting him and hope that, you know, he can find success. That first half that they had 
against Columbia, it looked like, you know, this is fantastic. 2-0 up, playing really well. And it was a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde performance because it was a pretty dismal second-half performance as well, some defensive mistakes. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they go in um, in their next game. I think it's against Uruguay that they're playing as well. So it'd be really interesting. We know that they had a nil-all draw just a couple of months ago at the World Cup. So it'd be interesting to see and get, a, I guess, a yardstick of where both teams are at now a couple of months on from that World Cup. And Japan, they also got a draw in their match with uh, with Uruguay. Now, we spoke last week as well. Hajime Moriyasu brought in a, a fair few new faces into the squad. What did the uh, the fans think about, you know, the new players, the squad, and and, and I guess the, uh, the result against Uruguay? Yeah, it was a bit of a disjointed performance, which is perhaps understandable given the number of new faces that uh, that did come into the side they've still got some some teething issues he's trying to persist with someone like Hiroki Ikai out uh, Hiroki Ito on the on the left I think he's probably more naturally a, a central defender um so again there's there's work to do but I guess that's why you bring these players into to camps like this because it's that chance to experiment it's that chance to find out whether the players do fit the system or not there was it was an it was an unlucky result in a way. I mean, Uruguay it was a, a bit of a lucky goal that they got. Japan had a lot of chances in that game, and as is often the story with Japan, just didn't take them. So they've just got to find a way that they can convert the chances that they create. Because if they do that, they're going to win more games than they lose. And we saw it again the other night. Now, Paul, my eye was drawn to this fixture during the week: uh, Iraq becoming the first visitors to Russia since the war with Ukraine started to play football, that is. Uh, they lost 2-0 to the Football Union of Russia, which is what they're officially called, in St. Petersburg. Uh, intriguingly, only 24,000 in a 62,000-capacity Gazprom arena. The, the Russians keep Asia... They, they keep that little pot boiling, don't they? Is there any movement on that one way or the other? There hasn't been any movement that I'm aware of since, but... They, they are drifting further and further east as it looks increasingly unlikely that they're going to be welcomed back into UEFA anytime soon. I think as it stands, there's people within football that want to move to the AFC because they see there's really no future in, in the short term anyway in, um, in, in UEFA, but it's, it's hard to let go of the UEFA money, the UEFA Champions League, et cetera, et cetera, as well. So this was, again, it was a little bit like Iraq. The first half performance, a little bit like Korea, sorry. The, the first half performance from Iraq was was really good. Their coach, Jesus Casas, was really happy with their first half and then they fell away in the second half. Um, Russia got a, a couple of goals in the space of five or ten minutes to to put the game to bed. So, um, But again, some some more impressive signs from, from Iraq as they continue to build under their new coach as well. Brilliant. Uh, very quickly, Paul, if you don't mind, uh, China made their return to international competition as well. That After the pandemic, they've had all sorts of problems in that part of the world. Uh, they lost 2-1 to New Zealand in the second game of the series after a goalless draw in the first. Any signs of a Chinese revival or is that uh, a long way off? I still think it's a long way off. Yeah. When, when you look at that side too, it's really interesting that a new coach in charge... I think there was five members of that team that were still over 30 years of age. So it's still, he's still relying on sort of a, a regular cohort of players, players like Zhang Lingpeng that have been around for a long time now. I would have thought that perhaps this was the opportunity to create essentially a new team, bring in a lot of young players and, and build a new team um, in, 
in your in your style around the, the style that you want to play. I'm not sure that you know persisting with you know players like Zhang Lingpeng that are over 30 years of age is is going to to get the job done for China. So no particular signs of revival there. I think it's a long road back to recovery for China, unfortunately. Thankfully, not a long road uh, to go until we speak to you again, Paolo. We'll talk to you next week on the Global Game. Thanks, mate. See you, Paul. Cheers, guys. All good.